Well, this morning we're here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be moving down into verse number 8. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be moving down into verse number 8. This uh, chapter here in 2 Thessalonians is dealing with the, the atmosphere of the last days. These are the days before the return of Jesus Christ. And in case you haven't heard it lately, Jesus is coming back. He said he was going to prepare a place for us and then he was going to come back for us. Amen. How many of you heard that song? He's got a mansion over the hilltop, right? I've got a mansion over the hilltop. Well, that's what he's been doing. He's been preparing a place for you and for me. And if the Lord tarries on his second coming, when our lives expire, we will go to the mansion in the sky and worship him there. But the prayer and the heartbeat of the church is the second coming of Christ. That a restitution of wrong be made right. That vengeance would belong to the Lord, that he would take it. Amen? and establish his throne here in Jerusalem. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, what we're looking at is the, the picture of that second coming, but the Lord even prophesied in the Olivet Discourse that before his return, there would be much darkness, much deception, and much depravity. Much darkness, much deception, and much depravity before his return. In fact, he said it would be like in the days of Noah. And if you go back and read in Genesis chapter 6, it says that God's heart was continually grieved because of the evil in man's heart. Because man was continually evil, it angered God. And Jesus said that it's going to be like the days of Noah before he comes back. That means that it ain't going to be getting better. Amen? You know, you can put a lot of Lysol in the world, but it ain't going to make it better. Not in God's eyes. God's looking for holiness. Amen? God's looking for holiness. And, and, and so one of the things that we see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, let's go ahead and begin here. It says, Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now that's Speaking of that day that Christ is revealed, right? But after that, we're going to see some of the, some of the, the characteristics of the Antichrist. It says, um, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Listen to this. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, let's stop right here for a second and, and, and work through this a little bit. Notice that it is Satan that empowers the Antichrist. When you read Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 13, it is abundantly clear that the dragon or Satan is the one who gives power to this beast. 
this Antichrist rises up and he is given power to produce signs and lying wonders. The catch is that in addition to that, all power is given to him. So in the last day, when the, when the Antichrist rises and the beast system gets lifted off of the ground, there will be a ground swelling of support from humanity upon him and upon his system. He will be the best thing since sliced bread. In fact, if you thought it was bad when everybody was running for toilet paper a few months ago, wait till he rises. Everybody will be running to him. Everybody will be running to him because he will provide safety and stability. Like a funnel, all power is given to him. The Bible actually says it was given unto him power to make war with the saints. Now, well, the interesting thing about this is that he uses, he uses signs and lying wonders. Let me tell you something. If what you look for is something that is flourishing spiritually, you might get deceived in the last days. The last days is a time period where you must have discernment by the Holy Spirit of God. If you don't have an anchor in the truth of God's word, you will look to signs and wonders and be misled. There will be a growth. Let me tell you that just growth in and of itself is not necessarily good. Let me say that again. Just because something's growing don't mean it's good. If you ever had a wart, you know that. That growing right there ain't no good. Well, sometimes when you look in the church world or the things of the spirit or in religion, just because there's life and just because something is growing and because there's lying signs and wonders does not mean it's from God. And the closer we get to the day that the Antichrist rises into power, it will inevitably snowball and get worse. The days will get darker. The days will get darker. In fact, the Bible says that eventually the sun will no longer give its light and neither will the moon. And when the sign of the Son of Man comes, all the earth will see it and wail and weep. They will see the one whom they pierced. The closer we get to the dawning of that day, the darker the world is getting. Don't be deceived. People, notice what it says in verse number 10. It says that those that are deceived are those that received not the love of the truth. The truth, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Do you know that he also said that if you're his disciple, you'll continue in him, right? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You will not be bound by the darkness and the deception of the last days if you know the truth and continue in it. But if you follow after things that are just merely growing and things that are lying and, and wonders and signs, you are setting yourself up for a deception that is very dark. These people that love not the truth are being deceived or will be deceived. And the Bible says that God will send them a delusion. 
Why would God send people a delusion? Because they did not love truth. L listen, if the truth of God's word is not good enough for you, nothing ever will be. If, if you have to have trinkets and you have to have toys and you have to have all kinds of tricks, then the word of God is not enough. And until the word of God is enough, we cannot say we love the truth. Trinkets and toys and tricks are weapons that the devil uses to deceive those that love not the truth. He will use those things to cause you to move off of what you've been founded on. Listen, God's desire is, is not necessarily that you flourish, but more that you are faithful. You can flourish in, in the religion of the Antichrist. You can flourish. You can, be the, you can be his right hand man. You can talk all about how good the lying signs and wonders are. But flourishing does not mean faithful. The desire of the church must be first and foremost to be faithful to God, faithful to his word, faithful to the Holy Spirit within us. And if that, listen, if, if that is um, not the desire of our hearts, we will be misled. God said he'll send a delusion to all those who do not love the truth. A delusion is something that, that where you think that you're right, and it doesn't matter if you ever talk to somebody that's deluded, you can show them the answer right in their face. You can say, look, it is right here. It is right here. But a deluded person, it just does not matter. It's like talking to the wall. They believe a lie, and they believe that that lie is truth. And it says that, that God gives people up over to a delusion that will not hold the truth. So there's a, there's a cost associated with that. Now, the, the growing, listen, what I said was growing is not exclusively good. You can have bad growth. If you've looked in the news lately, they have these things called the China seeds. Have you seen that? The, 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 somebody over in China is just randomly mailing out seeds that nobody knows what they are to people. And, 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 and the government's telling you, don't, whatever you do, do not plant these seeds because we don't know what they do. Right? So look, just because something grows doesn't mean it's good. It could be something that destroys. It could be something that brings in a disease, brings in a harvest of horrors. Just because something is growing doesn't mean it's good. It could be a bad growth. It could be a bad growth. Look, as, as, as we get closer to the end days, as we get closer to the, to the last days, you will see false religions and false Christ and false religious movements begin to rise with a ground swelling. And if you are moved by growth, you will be moved in the wrong direction. Just because something is not growing doesn't mean it's not good because the way that God views growth is not the way the world views growth. God looks at growth as in, in the terms of what is faithful. In the terms of what is faithful. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Matthew 
chapter 13. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. An old familiar parable that the Lord gives. An old familiar parable. In verse number 24, Matthew 13, verse 24, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as a, this parable with the wheat and the tares. Now, the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom, and each one of you that is born again is in the kingdom of God by a spirit, but you must not let your guard down because even in the kingdom of heaven, tares grow. Tares grow. If you don't think so, if, 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 you, if you don't think that tares grow in the kingdom of heaven, well, first off, the Lord says that it, they do. Right there. But secondly... Secondly, when you no longer read your word and you no longer are in your prayer closet and you no longer are communing with the Lord and you no longer are getting on your knees and asking the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit, when you no longer are seeking after God, you will see, you will see the, the, the darkness begin to grip your life. You will see your flesh begin to get stronger and the spirit man begin to get weaker. Why? Because the tares will produce. The Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. In fact, God said, whatsoever. Somebody say whatsoever. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It doesn't matter what it is. It is whatsoever. If you get bored with God, God might get bored with you. You get, you get tired of praying, guess what? Your praying life ain't going to be fruitful anymore. You get around some, some people that are intercessors, some people that have a love for God, and you see their prayer life, and you see them weeping, you see them just praying in the Spirit, you see them pouring out their heart before God, and you're like, well, it ain't like that for me. Well, yeah, you're not reaping because you haven't been sowing. You haven't been sowing in tears and reaping in joy. You haven't been sowing the right thing. You haven't been sowing tears of repentance and tears of thanksgiving. You've been sowing to your flesh in some form or fashion. Look, there's just a difference between a saint who stays filled up on American Idol and on Major League Baseball and a saint who stays filled up in the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying one's saved and one's lost, but you can see a difference in their life. And, and, and that difference is going to grow wider the closer we get to these last days. Now, this parable of the wheat and the tares, this is Matthew 13, verse 24. He says, Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came, and so tears among the wheat and went his way. Now, isn't it just like that? You go to bed after a prayer meeting and you wake up and just all kinds of stuff's wrong. And isn't it just like that? All kinds of stuff's wrong. You, you just minding your own business. 
But listen, you have to be aware that the enemy plays hardball. The enemy is out to destroy you, your soul, your marriage, your children, your family, your church, your nation. Satan's desire is to sift you as wheat. His desire is to bring destruction in you. He's he's not a cat just playing with you. He seeks whom he may devour. And if we are not staying prayed up and filled up with the Holy Spirit, we are low-hanging fruit. No matter, look, it don't matter how much you know in your head. If you don't have it in your heart, you're low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. Many people know the right answers in their head, but they do not have the fullness of that revelation in flowing in their lives. And we have to get to the place where we realize that even when we're sleeping, we must be on guard. How do we be on guard when we're sleeping? Pray before you go to bed. The Lord is the one who watches. The Lord is the one who keeps. Pray before you go to bed. Oh, Leonard Ravenhill, he said, the the secret of prayer is praying in the secret. You want to know what the secret of prayer is? Pray when nobody's watching. Look, if you got to get on Facebook Live to do your prayer life, it ain't a prayer life. It's a look at me life. If everything you do, if every time you give a piece of bread, you got to put it on Facebook, there's a problem. There's a problem. And our prayer life must be so that it is in secret. Right? Some, sometimes you get into places and, 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 and you let people pray in public, pray in public, and it's, oh, you know, gracious God who flung the stars in the sky as far as Jupiter is from Mercury, you're, you're, oh, you're the expanse of your glory. They get all like this, but you can get all like that, but if you don't have a prayer life in secret, you don't have a prayer life. God, in other words, God's not impressed with our public prayers if our private prayers are empty. Do you think that we're fooling God? Honestly, do we, do we honestly think that we're fooling God? Who are we fooling? Because, you know, it doesn't really matter what other people think of us on Judgment Day. The truth to be revealed, who are we fooling? I'll tell you who we're fooling. We're fooling our conscience. We're giving our conscience a cookie to be quiet. That's all we're doing. We're giving our conscience a cookie to keep quiet. And until we realize that, we're not ready to grow in the Lord. And it is for that reason that false churches and false denominations and false movements are growing. Because when you can go somewhere and not receive the truth, your conscience feels better. Your conscience will feel better. Now look, let's get into this. In verse 25, it says, While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now it is interesting that he says slept because the uh, barns 
commentary says that these tares are actually poisonous to men. These tares that were sown are actually poisonous to men, and, and, and one of the things that it produces is a drowsiness. In other words, when the enemy's at work in a church, he produces spiritual laziness or spiritual drowsiness. When, when everybody's, you know, singing, uh, you know, some glad morning when I fly away, you're just bored to death. The, 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 the tears that the enemy brings into the lives of people brings laziness and sleepiness. It says, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up, brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did thou not thou sow good seed in thy field? And from whence then has it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy has done this. The servants said unto him, Will thou then that we go gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Now, this is key for where we're going to go to. Listen to this. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now, this is an interesting concept for where we're going to go, but know this, that in the beginning, it is almost indistinguishable between a wheat and a tear. It is almost indistinguishable. You can look at two different churches and two different people, and you can do that, and it almost looks exactly the same, but the end result is going to be different because they are different fruits. At the beginning, at the beginning, they look almost identical. Now, you can tell them apart, but they look. You, you have to get real close. You have to examine them. You have to really look at them to be able to tell. And the danger is when you begin to uproot it, it's the, the root of the tear is stronger than that root of the wheat, and you might actually pull up the other with it. So it's really a delicate process. And when you have many bad seeds sown among many good seeds, you just got a mess on your hands. How many of you know there's times in your life when you sowed a little bit of whatsoever in your life and you got a mess? Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. When we've sown to the flesh and, and, and then the flesh comes knocking, and the harvest begins to come back, right? You sow to the flesh. You have a night out. Do this. Do that. Do things you know you shouldn't do. Go places you know you shouldn't go, right? Eventually, the harvest comes. Eventually, the harvest comes. Well, in, 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 this, in this parable here, we see that just because something is growing doesn't mean it's good. The tares were growing mighty fine. The tares were growing mighty fine. One of the things that you're going to have to adjust to in the last days, look, if the Lord, if, if the Lord is coming soon and the days are going to get darker before then, understand this, one of the things that the remnant church is going to have to get used to is not being moved by things that grow. 
Just because it grows doesn't mean it's good. It could be a China seed. It could be a China seed. Now, prospering is not necessarily good, but prospering in God is good. And it takes a spiritual person to discern the difference. Prospering is not necessarily good, but prospering in God is good. And there is a difference. There is a difference. God will prosper you. His light will shine upon you. His hand will undergird you. He will fill you with his spirit. He will put you in the cleft of the rock as he passes by. He will share his plans and his counsel with you in the secret places. He will prosper his children in him. In him. But if you're looking for the prosperity of the world, know this, the clock is ticking. And the, the, the closer we get to 12 midnight, know this, you don't want to prosper in this rotten world. This world is depraved and wicked and is growing more depraved by the hour. Just this past week, they began burning Bibles in Portland, Oregon. Just this past week. And if that doesn't tell you where things are headed, you have your head in the sand. Might need to wake up. Turn off Wheel of Fortune. The, 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 the reality that we have groups burning Bibles in America should wake the church up. But you know what we see in the church instead? One of the biggest churches in America whose pastor preached right here at the CenturyLink Center said the problem with racism in America is the church. Blaming the problems of America on Christians. Why is it that there were not Korans being burned this past week? Why is it that there was Bibles? Why is it that people are saying the problem in America is the church? It's not anybody else. It's us. Why? It's the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist desire is to destroy the saints. The spirit of the Antichrist, his desire is to destroy the saints. And the closer we get to his exaltation, you will see more and more the target on the back of the church get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's, it, it, it is only the beginning. It is only the beginning, but the wheels being turned. Things are being set in motion. The atmosphere is changing. The world is beginning to turn its ire at the church of Christ. How else is it possible that the leader of the, one of the biggest churches in America says, the church is the problem? No, the church ain't the problem. The church is the answer. The answer that this world needs is in the church. It's in the Word of God. In the Word of God, we see there's only one race. It's the human race. Somebody? God made Adam and Eve. He made us all from one family. There is no races. It's the human race. And the Bible also says that in Christ we're one. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile or Greek or barbarian or Scythian or male or female. The Bible says we are one in Christ Jesus. 
In other words, the cross is equal footing. It doesn't matter your background or your heritage. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your lack of it. The cross is equal footing for all souls. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. We all equally need equal amounts of the blood of Jesus to cleanse our sins and make us whole again that we be born of his spirit. It is at the cross of Christ. It is at the cross of Christ that healing flows. And if we don't preach that, if we don't preach that, our voices will go quietly in the night. And I'm not willing that on my watch that we go quietly in the night. I'm not willing to be quiet and just go in the night. If we're going out, we're going out with a bang. The, the world's going to know the truth. If it costs us our lives, they must know the spiritual reality of the truth. And that is that in Christ Jesus, old things are passed away. All things are made new. We are not Jew or Gentile in Jesus. We are one. We are one family in Jesus. In, in, in a place in Acts, he says he made in one out of all nations in one blood. One blood. We all have the same DNA. We all have the same blood. We're all made by the same creator. And, and, and anybody that pushes these divisions is from the devil. I'm telling you right now. Anybody that seeks to divide what Christ has united is from Satan. Christ united us by his own blood into one body. In one body, we are one. And anybody that seeks to divide his bride is of the devil. Is of the devil. And yet we have churches. Like I said, one of the biggest churches in America, a church in New York, Carl Lentz. So the problem, the church. No, 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 no. Problem is you. The church is the answer. The church is the answer. We have the truth. Listen, Jesus said, Jesus said, if you're my disciple, continue in me, right? Continue in me and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And anybody that's bound up in this, in, in, in this racist ideology is just fodder for the devil. Fodder for the devil. He's playing football with you. He's just playing a game with you. He's just kicking you around, seeing how much he can stir you up, stir up emotions and stir up past aggressions and things like this. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is, is, does God ever hold a son accountable for the sins of their father. None. You look in the book of Ezekiel, he said that he will not hold the son accountable for the sins of the father. Look, I know America has a past, but that just means the truth wasn't being preached right. Our job and our duty is to proclaim the truth that the captives will be made free. The only hope that our nation has is that Christ be exalted and truth be proclaimed. It is the only time and place that healing will ever flow in this nation or in this world. And it must start in the church. We're not the problem, we're the solution. Now I would agree 
that there are some that are the problem and it's because they don't preach the truth. But if, if, if a congregation or a church or a person or a, a child of God will just get a hold of God's truth and proclaim it, that's what this nation needs more than ever. But understand and know, understand and know that the enemy does not like that at all. When you, begin to, when you begin to proclaim the truth to people that are deluded, they will think that you are public enemy number one. You will be public enemy number one for standing on the truth. Look, get this. In the last, like I know, I, I know that we're all a scientific age and all this. We live in the postmodern America. That's a problem, right? Postmodernism and communism. That's two of the biggest problems we have in the nation right now. But understand this. The, in the last days, it's not going to be that the Antichrist is anti-religion. He is not going to be anti-religion. He's going to be for any kind of religion, just not Jesus. You're going to be able to have any kind of religion. In fact, there's going to be a one-world religion. The one-world religion is going to be anything but Jesus. It's going to be anything but Jesus. So when you stand on what the Word of God says, you will be setting yourself up to be targeted by the enemy. But God's on your side. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. But look, the best thing that could ever happen to us is when this life is over. I'm going to say that again. The best thing that could ever happen to us is when this life is over. This life is fleeting. This life is temporary. It is perishing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it is a vapor. This life is here today and then gone. And what we do in it determines our eternity. This life is not what my hope is built on. My hope is built on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And when my eyes close for the last time here, I know they'll open for the first time in glory, in the beauty of eternity. I'll see my Savior on the shores of heaven. Amen? And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God says, whosoever will let him come. It doesn't matter your background, your nationality. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. It doesn't matter what color your hair is, your shoes are, your tie is, or your skin. It don't matter none of that. Whosoever will let him come to Jesus. And Jesus welcomes you. Now, the reality is, is that these wheat and the tares are growing in the same area, same kingdom, and they're causing problems. Like I said earlier, Barnes Commentary said that these tares actually produce sleepiness. They actually cause anybody that gets around the tear, anybody that gets involved with tares will grow sleepy. And anybody that gets involved with the false church today will in the same way get sleepy. You won't want to hear the truth. You'll put cotton balls in your ears when people start preaching the truth. You'll, you will turn away from those things that have come to set you free. You know that there was a time in the life of Christ in John chapter 6. It's, it's easy to remember, John 6, 66, right? 6, 6, 6. 
But in, in, in that day, in John, at the end of John chapter 6, there's a situation where Jesus preaches the truth and his disciples turn away. It says many of his disciples left and never came back. And Jesus turned to the apostles. He said, you going to go too? And Peter said, ever so profoundly, where are we going to go? You're the Christ, and you have eternal life. So in other words, what else is there? You're Jesus, and there's no eternal life outside of you. So what's the point of doing anything else? And that, I believe, John chapter 6 is, very, is going to be very prophetic in the last days. Because the more that the vice of the Antichrist grips the world, the more that he tightens his grip, the more that he establishes his unrighteousness and his unholiness, the more he infects the church world, the more he sows false doctrine, the more that he sows deception, the more that he vices down on the world, oh, the less many will stand. The less many will stand. Now, there's an important truth that I want you to grab hold of in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. The Psalm of Asaph. And let me tell you, when you're looking at these things in, 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 in the, the wheat and the tares in, in that. If you're looking for validation or for glory from the world, you might as well forget it. Your validation has to come from God. If you're still believing that the, the world is going to just throw roses at the feet of the church, wrong. Wrong. Look again. Look again. Reread the Olivet Discourse. Go back and look at those prophecies that Jesus gave about how the world would be in the last days. There would be false Christ and there would be false prophets and they would deceive many. This was written and it's going to happen. And we're seeing it unfold even in our own lifetimes. I want to look at the, what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. I believe that this is going to be, a, 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 as well, this is going to be a very prophetic passage, as you'll see. And we're not going to run through the whole thing. I'm just going to pick out a couple of key parts here. Look in verse number one. Asaph said, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. You know, I've talked to many believers that could share that same testimony. They would say something like this, Hey, Pastor, I know God is good, but you know, I'm barely hanging on. You know how many times I've heard a testimony similar to that? Pastor, I know God is good. I know he's all that, but hey, he's not all that for me.
Can I tell you that your perspective is wrong if that's the way you think? I love you, and I want you to know your, percep- your perception is wrong if that's the way you perceive God. You're going to see something in this psalm that's going to, I believe, open your eyes. I've seen so many people say, Pastor, I know God can deliver me. I know God can do this. I know God can do that, but I just know he's not going to do it for me. I'm barely hanging on, Pastor. I'm barely hanging on. And Asaph kind of got into that. And you're going to see how he gets out. But how many of you know that's a dark hole to get in? You ever been there? Oh, I know God can do it. He just won't do it for me. That's a lie from the devil. That's a satanic lie. And you're going to see this morning, you're going to see in this message that God is going to move in your life when you see him by faith. When you see him by faith. Now look at this. He said, I know God is good to Israel. You can hear him, right? You can almost hear it. You get in a pastoral council. You can almost hear this. I know God is good to Israel, even to those that are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious. Now, this is where honesty kicks in on Asaph's part. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. How they got the nice job. How they got the nice car. Look at their family. Everybody's got a haircut. Everybody's clothes fit. Everything's nice and tidy in that family. They got all their bills paid. They don't know what it's like. I got to choose between water and electricity and gas. Pick one. Hope the others don't get cut off. They don't know what it's like. They, they, They talk the talk, but they never walked in my shoes. Look. He said, I got messed up when I began to see the prosperity of the wicked. I began to see these people, and, and, and I know that they're not exactly right, but man, they've got it going on. I mean, I, I know that they're going to, to churches that, that, you know, they have, to, they, they, they have to keep the fog machine and laser lights going to keep people entertained. I know they preach error. I know that they're wrong, but man, I mean, they got it going on. He said, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. If you see prosperity and you run after it, you might well run into Antichrist. The Antichrist will prosper you if you take the mark. Now, that sounds extremely foolish to people that listen to us. But that's only the end result of what this guy was feeling. He said, I saw the wicked prospering, and that's what I wanted. Well, if you want the prosperity of the wicked, the devil will give it to you for a cost. If you'll just take a mark in your hand or in your forehead, he'll give you milk, bread, and eggs. In the last days, nobody's going to be able to buy or sell nothing without taking the mark. It will be a cashless society. You know the problem, the downside of a cashless society? It means that you'll never be able to give somebody a dollar for a donut. You'll only be able to get a donut if you have 
the mark of the beast. And, 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 and there, will, there will come decisions that people have to make when they're watching their family starve. You think that we're going to be exempted from these things? The, the, look at the, the, the first century church. You have people in other parts of the nation, in other parts of the world right now going through these same things. Oh, yeah, they allow churches in China. Yeah, as long as you worship what they tell you to worship, how they tell you to worship. You begin to worship Christ and Christ alone and say that he is God, you won't last very long. And it'll be the same way in those days. So he says that he was envious of the foolish when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And, and, and just for time's sake, let's move, move down to verse number 16. There come a point in time in Asaph's life whenever this began to just overwhelm him. And in verse number 16, he said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. How many of you seen rotten folks prosper? It's just not fair, Lord. Oh, Lord, I do this and I do that, and it's just not fair, right? Remember, prospering is not the same thing as prospering in God. God will prosper you in a jail cell. Oh, that's not good enough? Okay. All right. You want the milk, bread, and eggs? Take the mark. But if you have faith, God will prosper you in a jail cell. This is why I said it doesn't matter what the government says about us having church or not having church. We're going to have church. It don't matter if we can meet in a church building or a parking lot or a pasture or a palace or a prison. The church is going to meet every Sunday until Jesus comes back. If we got to go outside, we'll go outside. If we got to go underground, we'll go underground. But we're going to meet and we're going to worship the Lord and we're going to proclaim his truth till he comes to get us or till we die. And, 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 and this is our watch. We're that generation that these things are beginning to happen, that these things are being set in motion. And, and, and you have to just kind of get that determination. You know what? It's not going to happen on my watch. have to get that kind of determination it's not going to happen on my watch there's times you get in relationships with somebody and that you know they might give up but you don't have to so look what he says here he said when i thought to know this it was too painful for me until somebody say until you know what nothing's going to change until you get to this verse. It, 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 if you want to drown in sorrow, you'll drown. You have to say, I don't want to drown. If you want to be depressed and in a dark corner, nobody's going to turn on the light till you turn to Jesus. But if you turn to Jesus, he will give you more light than you could ever possibly need. He said it was too painful for me until, look at this verse, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. 
You know what he had to do? He had to get alone with God in the sanctuary. He had to come to the place where God meets with his people. In the sanctuary, the psalmist is talking about that place where the Ark of the Covenant existed, where God would meet with his people. This is that that place that only holy people could enter, and they could only enter in a holy manner. The Bible says that now you are the temple of God. Know you not that the Holy Spirit lives within you? If you're a child of God, if you've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, don't you realize that you don't have to go to a temple? You are a temple. So you can do what this psalmist says anytime you desire. You can be in a dark valley of depression. You can be in a place of sorrow. You can be in a place where things are painful and overwhelming to you. And you can turn to the living Christ in that hour and receive lights for your night. He said it was only when he was in the sanctuary that he had a change. The, the, the thing that produced the change first was God's presence. God's presence. He had to, look, it wasn't just a, an empty church that he went to. It was the sanctuary of God. He had to get into God's presence before he began to see rights. I love the way F.B. Meyer put it on this verse. He said, he, he said you know, our problems sometimes we try to view God through our problems. How many of you have done that before? We still do that a lot. We try to see God through the problem. He said the, the, the problem with that is, he said the problem with that is is, is is trying to see the issue from the world. Trying to see the issue from the world. It's like the, trying to see light from there. But he said you have to begin to see God the problem through God instead of God through the problem. Did you hear that? You have to begin seeing the problem through the eyes of the Lord. Look, it, the difference is if you were trying to see light from this perspective or from the sun. Some of us, some of us are trying to view God through the problem instead of viewing the problem through God's word. Through God's word. What is the problem? Begin to look at it the way God looks at it. You'll never see light until you begin to look at things from a heavenly perspective. You'll never begin to see the way God wants you to see until you see through God's lenses. Now, he says in verse number 23... Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy, with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Listen to this. This, this is the change that took place. Now, 
notice, I said when he went to the sanctuary, the first thing he encountered was God's presence. The second thing he realized is that these people are prospering, but you know what? Their end is going to be hell. Their end is going to be hell. They are doing well, but their clock is ticking. Ours is just beginning. There will come a day and an hour when the wicked will have to give an account before God. But if you've been made right, Jesus has already given account for you. And, and there's, coming a, there's coming an hour when those that seem as if they're prospering, although they're wicked, they will have to face judgment. So he said, you know what? God's given me a future. God's given me his Holy Spirit. I'm able to come into the presence of the Lord. I'm able to commune with him. And also, I know what my future is. I know what my future is. So he said, nevertheless, I'm continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Can you say that about God? Can you say that he is continually with you? Can you say that he holds you by his right hand? Look what he, he said, thou, God, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Look at these next few verses. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. That right there is a heavenly perspective. You can only look at a situation like that through a heavenly perspective. Lord, who do I have but you? Nobody else died for me on the cross. Nobody else could pay the price for my sin. Nobody else loved me so much that they innocently laid down their life for me. In exchange, in exchange, my sin for their righteousness. Whom have I in heaven but thee? You know, there's a song I used to hear this group, they would sing, and he said, some say when they get to heaven, they're going to be looking for St. Peter and some for St. Paul. But when I get the glory, when I get the glory, I'm looking for the Lord of all. I'm going to worship Jesus, the Lord of all. You know, it, some of us are going to look for our fathers and our mothers, and what a joy that's going to be. We're, we're going to be reunited with our loved ones. We're going to be reunited with those that have passed on before us and those that we've known and loved and missed. But who greater than Jesus? He is the one whom our heart truly loves. And that's why he says, whom have I in heaven but thee? Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be, right? What a glorious day that's going to be. Whom have I in heaven beside thee? I desire none beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish, though thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Look, a couple of points I want to make. Prosperity 
is one thing, but prospering in the Lord is our goal. And in order to prosper in the Lord, he must be your portion. That's what he said. You will never prosper in Jesus until Jesus is the portion for your soul. And when we begin to look at when we begin to look at things through an earthly perspective, we don't see things properly. It's only when we begin to see things from God's perspective that we will begin to see in a God way. Let me rephrase that. Your sin don't look so bad when you, can, when you look at it against somebody worse than you. Well, I know I'm a liar, but they're a murderer. Well, I know I'm a thief, but I wouldn't take $100. I'd only take 50 Well, I might look, but I'm not going to touch. Look, you can always justify sin when you look at it from an earthly perspective. But when you look at it from a heavenly perspective, you will begin to see this is a holy God. And not one sin will enter heaven's gates. Not one lie, not one evil thought, not one misdeed will enter into glory. God said he is holy. Amen. He said to follow him and, and, and to follow holiness. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. A pastor preaching all that holiness. We, you know, it, relax, pastor. It's, it's 2020. God's not relaxing. God's standard of holiness is the same today as it was when Jesus walked this earth. When Jesus had to pay the price on the cross because sin was sinful and holy was holy, it's still sinful and it's still holy. His standard has not changed. We have. God's standard has not changed. We have. We've gotten into this place where we say, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Look, if, if the word of God is not going to be our truth, you might as well believe that you're on Jupiter. If the word of God is not going to be the guiding truth, the, if the word of God is not going to be a lamp for your feet and a light for your path, you might as well believe your head is truly a watermelon. You believe whatever you want to believe. Make it up as you go, like those books you used to read in school. Make it up as you go. Ad lib. You either are going to believe what God says or you're going to ad lib to hell. The tares produce sleepiness and they are sown in the kingdom. They produce backsliding. They produce slumbering. They produce a false reality. If you look out into this man's field, you just see a bunch of stuff growing. The way the church world is today, we'd be trying to go learn how they're growing all that stuff. We need to go have a, a, a growth conference over there. Look at all that stuff they're growing in their garden. Look at all that. How do we do that? 
And the devil says, oh, it's real easy. Just go to sleep. I'll sow it in yours too. I'll sow it in yours too. You see, the problem is people don't love the truth. In the end where I started at, that's the hallmark of the Antichrist rise. He deceives those that have not a love for the truth. That's who he deceives. That's who we truth. That's, that's who he deceives is those who love not the truth. And, and, and we must get to the place where we desire the sincere truth of God's word. The sincere truth of God's word. And let me share that truth with you real quick and I'm going to close. The truth is, is that every person on this earth has sinned against a holy God. The truth is that God didn't have to, but he created the universe. He created this world. He created your ancestors, and he created you. And every person that's ever lived has been a miserable failure. Every person that's ever lived has thought things they shouldn't think and done things they shouldn't have done. Every person that's ever lived is a sinner because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Most of the time we think about the sin, but we don't think about the glory. Not only did Adam and Eve sin in the garden, but they lost the glory that they had. They began to walk in shame. They didn't have the glory that they once did. And the glory will never come until Jesus comes. And he won't come until sin has been nailed out of the way. And what he did, this is God the Son. He came to this earth. He is uncreated, but he came and incarnated in time and place in a fleshly body, in Mary's womb, born in a manger on a cold December night. And he lived a sinless life. And for 33 years, he not only not sinned, but he pleased the Father in everything that he did. And the reality of the, the, the truth, the truth is this. That when Jesus went to Calvary, you were on his mind. The truth is this, that had Jesus not gone to Calvary, the only hope we would have is hell because our sins. And Jesus said, in order to go to heaven, you must be born again. Jesus died on that cross as a sinless sacrifice for sin to please a holy God. To bring a restitution for sin. He laid down his life and on the third day he rose from the dead. He told the, he told the Pharisees in John chapter 2, he said, I will lay down my life, but on the third day I will raise it up again. He said, I will raise it up again. Jesus raised himself up from the dead because he's God. And the gospel is this. The gospel is this that if you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess him as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day, you would be born again. You would be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, unless a person believes that gospel Unless a person believes that gospel and confesses that that Jesus is their Lord, they will go to hell. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
There is only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one access to eternal life, and it is Jesus, God the Son, incarnate in flesh, bearing our sins on the cross, dying for them, and resurrecting on the third day, and the gospel is to believe and be saved. Unless a person is born again by that gospel, they will not enter into heaven. John chapter 3 verses 3 through 6. And it is upon that truth that the church is built, on Jesus's righteousness, not our own. We don't have our own righteousness. We believe on Jesus, and his righteousness is imputed to us according to the book of Romans chapter 4. That's the truth, and that's what the world hates. The only hope that the world has is Jesus. And the only thing that's going to bring healing to our families, to our churches, and to our nation, and to the racial tension that's going on is us preaching Jesus. Again, we are not the problem. We have the solution. The solution is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for your word. We thank you for the truth of your scripture, your holy scripture. God, I thank you for 